broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hello, Las Vegas. Happy Wednesday, everyone. It's church night. You can join us for church tonight at 7 o'clock. It's actually a WANA Awards night here at Liberty Baptist this evening, which is always a fun time to recognize our kiddos. This is Experience Liberty Radio 101.1 FM. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL, coming to you from Studio B at Liberty Baptist Church. If you would like to be part of the program, you can email us at radio at experienceliberty.com or call us at 702-647-4522. And of course, if you would like to tweet me, you can find me on Twitter at The Frittle. And reach out over there. I just realized I don't have my water bottle. This is like epic radio fail. So, when I get parched in about five minutes, you'll know why. (laughs) Alright, so let's dive right into the news today. This is actually a, a lot of... Things that I wanted to hit on yesterday, but we never got to. First off, being uh, the Freddie Gray trials for the police officers that were um, being investigated in that matter, which I'm sure you probably most of you have seen by now. But the first of six officers on trial in the case of Freddie Gray, who, if you remember, he's the young man who was presumably throwing himself into the side of the police van that he was detained in, which then broke his spinal cord. And his defense has cried murder because he was detained, they say, without cause, though he had a knife and he wasn't cooperating with officers, and because they didn't properly restrain him in the back of the van and so on and so forth. And no one knows <coughs> at this point what actually uh, caused his, his death and his spinal injury that I'm aware, but this is from the Baltimore Sun. Baltimore Circuit Judge Barry Williams rejected the state's case Monday against Officer Edward Nero, acquitting him on all counts for his role in the arrest of Freddie Gray. The verdict followed a five-day bench trial in the closely watched case. In his ruling Monday, Williams said that there were no credible facts to show that Nero was directly involved in Gray's arrest and said testimony showed Nero's role in putting Gray in the van was minimized by the actions of others and not unreasonable given his training. Based on the evidence presented, this court finds that the state has not met its burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt all required elements of the crimes charged. Therefore, the verdict for each count is not guilty, Williams said. Nero leaned forward after the verdict was read and wiped his eyes and hugged his attorneys. Mark Zane and Allison Levine, the attorneys, said Nero and his family are elated that this nightmare is finally over. The state's attorney for Baltimore City rushed to charge him as well as the other five officers completely disregarding the facts of the case and the applicable law, the defense lawyer said in a statement. His hope is that the state's attorney will reevaluate the remaining five officers' cases and dismiss their charges. Like Officer Nero, these officers have done nothing wrong. Four officers are charged in Gray's death, while charges against Nero and one other stem from his arrest and the failure to place him in a seatbelt. 
Late Monday, William issued a, Williams issued a new gag order prohibiting Nero and his lawyers from speaking out until all of the other officers' cases are solved. Can you imagine the relief that this man and his family must be feeling right now? I mean, we've reached this point of such racial tension in our country, higher than I think I've ever seen before in my life, that I, I can't imagine right now what it's like to be to be a police officer. You know, in all these stories in recent years, any time that someone dies in police custody or in an altercation with police, especially if it's a child, it just it breaks your heart unless you're heartless. However, that doesn't change the fact that what we need to be teaching our children and our young people is to respect our public servants. You need to respect police officers. You need to cooperate with police officers. If something is going wrong, you want your kids to run to the police, not away from them. And particularly here in Las Vegas, we have such an incredible police force that is dedicated to our community. I mean, the best thing to do if you get pulled over, if you get stopped at any time for any reason by law enforcement personnel, it will always go better for you if you're just cooperative. And please, young people especially, just cooperate. If you've done nothing wrong, then you don't have anything to worry about anyway. So just be respectful and honor those who serve us and keep our communities and our city safe. They're here to help. Tom Brady, (laughs) Patriots quarterback. As a Broncos fan, I'm going to try and tell you about this latest update with the least amount of bias as possible. Because football is one thing that I am biased about, and I don't even care who knows it. But Tom Brady, so remember, you know, the footballs that maybe had air in them, maybe they didn't, maybe Tom Brady knew about it, maybe he didn't, maybe he destroyed his cell phone, maybe he didn't, maybe it was all just one big coincidence, you guys. But anyway, he was suspended, he appealed, and he won. Then his appeal was overturned, and he is currently suspended for the first four weeks of the coming NFL season. Well, he's decided that he's going to appeal again. But this time, he wants all 13 justices of the Second Circuit Court to hear his case rather than just the three. This is actually from the Arizona Cardinals blog. And you say, well, why would you be reading about Tom Brady from the Arizona Cardinals blog? Because the Patriots play the Cardinals in their opener. So this means a lot to the Cardinals because obviously, well... I'm speculating here, but my guess would be that the Cardinals feel better about facing the Patriots without Tom Brady under center. Brady, the Cardinals, in the opener. When Tom Brady's four-game suspension, the one that would keep him from playing the Cardinals at University of Phoenix Stadium on on September 11th, uh, it was hard when, when Tom Brady was suspended. It was hard to figure that Deflategate was actually over, and it's not. Brady waited until the last possible moment, but he and the NFL Players Association have exercised their right to ask the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals to hear his case en banc. 
That means Brady is appealing for the entire group of the Second Circuit judges, 13 of them, to hear the case as a whole, rather than the three-judge panel that ruled against him 2-1. to one. Without getting too deep into the legal muck, how this impacts the Cardinals is fairly simple. While there is no timetable in which the judges must answer Brady's request for a rehearing, if it is granted, the suspension is automatically put on hold. So if there is a decision between now and September 11th to grant the rehearing, and it would likely take months for a rehearing to then take place, Brady is going to play against the Cardinals. But if he has denied the rehearing, Brady's suspension will be upheld again, and he'll, he won't play the Cardinals or anyone else for the following three weeks. It is important to note that the second court circuit chooses to hear en banc less than 1% of the cases it is asked to hear in that format. Format. The odds are against Brady. Now, should this fail and the second circuit say, no, we're not going to do that for you, there's still one avenue left for the Patriots star quarterback, and that is an appeal to the Supreme Court. But... I'm going to go with that would probably be a long shot. I'm just guessing that perhaps the Supreme Court has better things to do than help Tom Brady get reinstated for four games of the NFL season. I'm not, I'm not going to comment on whether or not he should or should not be suspended. Okay, All I'm saying is that the Supreme Court... Really? Maybe we have some better things to do. If he gets shot down here and decides he's going to appeal to the Supreme Court, I'm going to be like, okay, that's enough, buddy. Methinks thou dost protest too, too, too much. Speaking of the Supreme Court, uh, they issued a verdict earlier this week that had the internet up in arms because Clarence Thomas... I arguably the most constitutional uh, conservative left on the bench was the lone dissenting voice in a decision. This is from The Hill. Supreme Court blacks were unconstitutionally excluded from a Georgia jury. The Supreme Court on Monday gave a Georgia man another chance to overturn his death penalty sentence, ruling 7-1 to one that there was a concerted effort to keep black prospective jurors off the jury in his capital murder trial. Timothy Foster was sentenced to the death penalty after he confessed to killing 79-year-old Queen Madge White, a widow whom police found dead on the floor of her home in 1986. White had been beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled to death. Her home had also been burglarized. Decades after his conviction and death sentence, Foster used the Georgia Open Records Act to obtain copies of the prosecution's file. In it, he found that the attorneys had identified which prospective jurors were black. Delivering the opinion of the court, Chief Justice John Roberts said the prosecutors were motivated in substantial part by discriminatory intent when they struck all four of the prospective black jurors from serving on Foster's trial. Two preemptory strikes on the basis of race are more than the Constitution allows, he wrote. The decision, however, does not overturn Foster's conviction. It instead forces the Georgia Supreme Court to decide whether this finding of discrimination in the jury selection process warrants relief. Uh, uh, Foster's attorney 
believes that the court's ruling requires the conviction and death sentence be set aside. But Justice Clarence Thomas was the court's lone dissent in the case. He scolded the court for failing to seek clarification from Georgia's highest court before giving a death row inmate another opportunity to relitigate his conviction. He said it was the trial court that observed uh, this situation firsthand, and its evaluation of the prosecution's credibility on this point is certainly far better than this court's nearly 30 years later. He also said, quote, The court today invites state prisoners to go searching for new evidence by demanding the files of the prosecutors who long ago convicted them. I cannot go along with that sort of sandbagging of state courts. So essentially, what Thomas is saying is, look, if we grant this now, then anyone who's ever been convicted of any crime at any time in the past, we're giving them precedent to demand access to any and all information the prosecution uses against them in trying their case. All case files. Is that something we want? Is that prudent judicial procedure? Why are we sandbagging state courts in this manner? What about confidential information? What of witnesses who may be placed in harm's way? Thomas is saying, look, we're opening a Pandora's box with this, and I won't be part of it. I see what he's saying, and honestly, I believe that if Justice Scalia were alive today, he probably would have dissented with Thomas as well, because the two of them were often uh, very tightly knit in these situations. Now, for the case itself, obviously race played a role in jury selection. That is without question. So I don't think that Justice Roberts is incorrect there. But here's the worst part. Not, in my opinion, that jurors were discriminated against. But because those jurors were discriminated against, now that poor woman's family is in the news again. We're ripping open their wounds again. We have this monster of an individual who, by the way, admitted to brutally assaulting and killing this woman and then robbing her blind. I mean, he said that he did it. He was going to be convicted. He did and should face the death penalty. But because the prosecution 30 years ago discriminated in their juror selection, now his sentence may be commuted. That, in my opinion, is the real shame here. One wrong doesn't justify another wrong. This man deserved his conviction regardless of who was sitting on the jury. And now people feel bad for him rather than for the woman that he brutally killed and her family. Tell me that's not the real tragedy here. All right, Bernie Sanders is saying that Quote, democracy is not always nice and that the Democratic Convention could be messy. Yes, well, on the democracy is not always a nice thing, please see the French Revolution. That said, Philadelphia may be absolutely insane. This is from The Blaze. Bernie Sanders predicted Monday that the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia could be messy as he pushed the party to adopt his progressive agenda, but added, democracy is not always nice and quiet and gentle. Democratic presidential candidate said in an interview with the Associated Press that his supporters hope to see a platform at the July convention that reflects the needs of working families, the poor, and young people, as opposed to one that represents Wall Street and corporate America. The Vermont senator said he will condemn any and all forms of violence, but 
His campaign was bringing in newcomers to the process and first-time attendees of political conventions. He said the Democratic Party could choose to be more inclusive. I think if they make the right choice and open the doors to working-class people and young people and create the kind of dynamism that the Democratic Party needs, it's going to be messy. Democracy is not always nice and quiet and gentle, but that is where the Democratic Party should go. Asked if the convention could be messy, specifically, Sanders said, So what? Democracy is messy. Every day my life is messy. But if you want everything to be quiet and orderly and allow, you know, just things to proceed without vigorous debate, that is not what democracy is about. Every day my life is messy. Is that what's happening with the hair? Because I'm, I'm still confused by the hair. If you want everything to be orderly... That's not what democracy is about. Apparently, democracy is about being messy, according to uh, good Senator Bernie Sanders. So yeah, once again, while the media fixates on Donald Trump and if the right is divided to the point where it will not elect him president, Bernie Sanders is talking about democracy being messy and how orderliness isn't what democracy is about. And how the convention, yeah, you know, that might be messy. And when he says messy, what he means is protests to the point of newsworthy. Think rioting. Think big problems. I have friends in Philadelphia. You guys stay safe. Is it, I, I think it's going to be absolutely crazy if Sanders doesn't pull out a win that gets him to the point point of being competitive and I think he's going to need California to be able to do that today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts fundraising opportunities Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year round they can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks if your educational religious community or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals Krispy Kreme can help Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use you can visit KrispyKreme.com slash fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. I want to remind you of uh, this Sunday is Memorial Day Sunday. We're going to be recognizing Gold Star families here at Liberty Baptist Church. You want to join us at 930 or 1115 at 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. We're going to be honoring one family in particular, the Hydes, uh, and remembering their son, Daniel Hyde. You can read his story in the book, 24 Years and 40 Days. We hope you and your family will be here uh, to join us as we remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice in service for our country. Also, our missions conference is coming up uh, June, what is it, June 22nd through 26th, I believe. We are praying for every country in the world this month with our pastor. Stay tuned just after my program. Uh, You can join him for day two as we pray for the next eight countries. On the list, uh, we're going to be back in just a minute with Rick Green from Wall Builders. Rick is a co-host with David Barton of Wall Builders Live, which airs here on KVXL every afternoon at 1 o'clock. He will be with us. Uh, we're going to play Above All from Michael W. Smith, and we will be back in just a minute with Rick Green. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio here in Las Vegas. We're streaming online at KVXL101.com. We're very privileged today to have Rick Green with us. Rick Green is an entrepreneur who has built a number of successful businesses. He's a husband and father, president of the Torch of Freedom Foundation. But uh, you probably know him best 
as a speaker for Wall Builders. He also co-hosts Wall Builders Live with David Barton. You can hear Wall Builders Live on KVXL every afternoon just after 1 p.m. Rick, thank you so much for being with us today. Crystal, great to be back. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for what you guys are doing as well. Oh, sure thing. You know, we had you on the show a couple uh, a couple years ago, I guess it was about two years now, and that was just a fantastic time. And I've been wanting to have you back ever since, but just hasn't worked out. So it's great well, to have you. I'm actually going to be coming your way here in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to go do some training out at Front Sight in Parop. So uh-huh. I'll be just coming through Las Vegas for a day. But anyway, well, next time what you're doing with your show. <laughs> Thank you. Next time when you're here for more than one day, you have to come and visit us. I think you've actually spoken at our church before at Liberty Baptist. Yep, yep, there have a couple times. Yeah, our, yeah, I love Tice. They're great, great church. Wonderful folks. Well, thank you. They love you, too. They talk about you all the time. Actually, they were the ones that were like, why have you not had Rick Green on yet? And I was like, I'll get right <laughs> on that. that <laughs> <laughs> In fact, we've had, uh, I know we've had Matt on the show, on the Walt Bowler show a couple times, just from uh-huh. uh, the great work uh, you guys are doing at your church. I mean, and reaching out to the community and the work they're doing with the police uh, there and, and uh, just just. Uh, a lot of, you know, it's basically living out uh, biblical principles, not just preaching them, but actually living them out. So great example to put in front of the rest of the country. Sure. And, you know, as I was thinking and prepping for this interview, I was thinking rather than just focus on one topic, which we could do and which we usually do for interviews, but your your depth of knowledge and history is so extensive. Not that our other guests aren't, but <laughs> I thought with you, maybe we could just run through some different items that are happening in our culture right now and get your take on some different things, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Let's do a rapid fire. Go for it. All right. Let's 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 do this. So first off, I want to start with something that I think is, is kind of underlying for a bunch of different issues, not only currently, but in the past and will surely be in the future. And that's this, this misunderstanding of the myth of separation of church and state. Um, yeah. So let's just start there. You know, what did our founders actually say about church and state relationships, and what would they say about our use of the term today? You know, it's been one of the worst lies perpetrated on the American people in our in our nation's history because it's been used to completely shift. I mean, not just change or distort a little bit, but completely reverse uh, religious liberty and, and the First Amendment. I mean, our, our founders did not put that phrase in the First Amendment. Now, the phrase itself means don't want. Uh, you know, the, the, the church to, you know, whoever elected president to run the church. We don't want, you know, whoever's the leader of a particular denomination uh, to dominate the, na- you know, the nation. So it's, it's the idea of we don't want the king to be our priest as well. Um, and, and that's well-founded, and certainly the founders wanted that. But this idea of separating religious principle or values or people having to check their faith at the door, complete lie. Uh, nothing in the First Amendment says the phrase separation of church and state. It says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, meaning government, stay out of this. You let us live out our faith. Your only role with regard to our faith is to protect our right to exercise that faith. And that doesn't just mean showing up at church on Sunday morning or synagogue on Saturday or wherever you choose to worship. It means being able to take your faith and your closely held beliefs and your conscience and live and work according to that conscience and according to those closely held beliefs. It means your actions and the way you treat your fellow man and the way you run your business and the way you vote, all those things are influenced by your faith. And the founders built our nation upon that concept, and, and yet over the last 50, 60 years, we've completely destroyed that by, by changing the perception of the First Amendment 
and using this very separation of church and state to say uh, that somehow you have to keep your faith out of it, that pastors can't talk about quote-unquote political issues on Sunday mornings. And what that has come to mean is that any issue that's a hot topic in the culture, even though the Bible speaks to it, which means it's not just a political issue, it's a life issue, it's a biblical issue, that even though it's right there and they should be preaching every issue in the, in the Bible, that somehow they're supposed to stay away from those issues. Well, that means no more talking about economics or, or life or marriage or, 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 you know, all the things that affect us. And it's, and it's caused the church to be neutered in many ways uh, and silenced, and which means then the congregation is not influenced in terms of how to think biblically about the issues in our, in our culture, and then we don't vote that way. And that's how we've ended up in the, in the mess that we're in, because we've separated our values uh, from our, our nation and, and, and from the principles of how the how the country runs when, in fact, our nation was built on the idea of biblical values guiding how our nation would run. So it's it's really been devastating. Uh, it's beginning to change, though. We've got a lot of Black Road Regiment pastors out there that are um, learning the truth about this phrase and about this history. And the phrase actually came from a letter of Thomas Jefferson long after the Constitution had been established. And that's a whole other topic we could go into if you want. But the, <laughs> but the real, real bottom line is, folks, don't separate your faith from politics and government or business or any of those things. Your faith could influence everything you do. That's what the founders believed in, and that's what we need to come back to as a nation. Amen. And, you know, I think that was kind of... You mentioned pastors, but I think individuals realizing that we don't have to and we shouldn't separate our faith from from how we vote, from how we live, from... Like, we, we take politics and we try to put it in this separate box. Like, that's just this other thing that I do outside of my life. But that's not how it should be. Our faith and our worldview should influence our decisions in every aspect of life, including in how we vote and and how we perceive life's issues and cultural issues. And, you know, it, it bothered me during, and I'm sure you're, you're more than familiar with this, during the primary season where people were, were calling out one candidate in particular and saying, well, we don't need a pastor-in-chief. He just needs to put his faith on the back burner and stop trying to be pastor-in-chief. And I'm going, isn't that what we want, though? Don't we want someone who, who is genuine in what they believe and who's faith impacts everything that they do? You know, I would, I would find it almost comical if people were to say, you know, I wish, I wish my boss would stop, stop acting like a Christian. <laughs> I, I wish he would stop treating people kindly. And, you know, he needs to just leave his faith at work and stop being fair to us. And, and you know, or, or, or if we left church on Sunday morning and said, well, you know, that was a great sermon, but uh, we, we can't go home and, and treat our kids based upon that sermon or, or our neighbors or, or any of those things, because we have to just leave that at church. And that's essentially what we're saying when we say, to someone running for office, you know, don't bring your faith past the Sunday morning sermon. Uh, don't bring it in, into what you're doing when, in fact, you're exactly right. That, that's exactly what we need. I think the, the, the biggest challenges we're facing today are because of a lack of moral clarity. And you don't get moral clarity without those, those religious underpinnings, without that, those religious values. And what people today are, what we've really lost sight of is a lot of people like to claim they're for liberty and, and freedom and they, and they want those things. But because we've become so uneducated about where that comes from and how history has, has worked and how government works and all those things, we have lost, we've forgotten that you cannot have liberty if you don't have morality in your culture. Mm. And you can't have morality in your culture if you don't have religion in your culture, because religion teaches you those moral principles. And those moral principles don't change. I mean, these are timeless principles that throughout the ages have been the same. And if you lose those, that, that morality, then government has to step in more and more and more in order to just basically save us from ourselves, from killing each other, stealing from each other, cheating each other. And that's why government grows and grows and grows is because of the lack of morality. So when someone is actually standing up and saying, hey, my faith teaches me 
that I should treat you the way I want to be treated. My mm-hmm. faith teaches me that I don't have the right to steal from you and give to another. Um, my faith teaches me that I don't have the right to, uh, to to try to make everyone equal, but instead that my job is to make sure that there's an equal playing field and that everyone has the same opportunity right to go out there and do things. When, when, when people actually take their faith into the arena and live out their biblical values, we can again become the America our founders intended us to be. Yeah, definitely. All right, so so next topic, which is which is related because I think everything is goes back to this issue of of where we're at and what we believe. But I think you know political correctness is is reached a point where tolerance is the prime thing. But I'm only tolerant of you to the point that what you think matches what I think, and then I'm intolerant if your belief system doesn't match what I believe or what I think. And we've blurred the lines of tolerance. I think to the point where just plain old common sense isn't even something that we acknowledge anymore. I mean, we've reached this point where now just recently our president is saying, you know, all public school restrooms should be open to any child, regardless of whether they're a boy or a girl. At, at what point do we just take a step back and say, OK, we, you don't even need biblical principles to realize that that is just not a good idea? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we're <laughs> we are living out. Some of those verses that I never thought would would come true in my lifetime, in terms of living like fools and 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 things just being completely backwards from from common sense, and and I mean just you know we could spend the rest of our time together just on the constitutional principle that the president is violating at this point. There's nothing in the Constitution that 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 make them uh, in any way uh, the bathroom police in chief. He has sure. absolutely no right to issue a decree that that tells uh, schools how they. Uh, what their policies should be on on the bathroom. This is completely outside the scope of of presidential power in Article Two, and and you know Congress needs to call him on that. The courts need to call him on that. I mean, it, it, states need to push back on it. It's just in, it's insanity. But you're right. Just in terms of the policy itself, no matter who it's coming from, even if it's coming from your local school board, who does have the authority to do something like that, um, it, it's insanity. I mean, it's it, it's 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 political correctness so run amok that that we're actually going to say. That in order to make that person that just a few months ago was still considered by science to, to have a, a disorder, that we're going to, in order to keep them from feeling uncomfortable, we're going to make everyone else on campus uncomfortable. So for this one person to not feel uncomfortable, which I would think actually they're going to end up even more uncomfortable because everyone's going to be so upset with them and it's going to be such a big scene. Uh, but in order to, to make them supposedly not feel uncomfortable we're not only going to make everyone on campus uncomfortable we're going to make the the you know the the women and and the girls unsafe right. uh, we're already hearing the stories of the tragedies and the things that are happening from this lunacy um it, it and and not to mention i mean part of the you know I, I always get upset at the insanity but when government steps outside of its jurisdictional bounds and it's forcing private businesses and forcing private individuals to follow this lunacy, it just makes me, I mean, I feel like I'm in Star Trek and I need to say, beam me up, Scotty, because it just, <laughs> I feel like I'm on this weird planet somewhere. Um, but but it is exactly what you, you put your finger on it. It's this idea of a, of a redefinition of intolerance to mean that if you don't participate in, celebrate, and allow for anything and everything and be a part of it, that you're intolerant. That is completely off the definition of, of tolerance. I mean, tolerance is to say, I may disagree with you, but I'm not going to force you to believe like me. I can still, re- you know, be respectful and, and, and be honorable and, and treat you as a human being. But it doesn't mean I have to celebrate what you're doing. It doesn't mean I have to say what you're doing is okay. Uh, I want to be 
intolerant of people that are going to harm my children or you know if a gang comes uh, you know, on my property, I'm not going to be tolerant of that. I'm going to be intolerant of that and put a, put a stop to it. If someone wants to take advantage of, of my daughter, I'm not going to be tolerant of that. There are times to stand and say that things are wrong, that they're harmful. I'm not going to be tolerant of people, um, you know, changing our school system into an indoctrination system that, that undermines our country and, and, and uh, starts teaching socialism instead of capitalism. If I'm tolerant of that, uh, then I'm going to lose my country. So there, there are certainly times to stand up. And I would say to the men that are listening out there, this is a time for real men to stand up and defend our wives and our daughters and the women in our lives and say we are not going to allow this politically correct psychobabble uh, speech out there uh, to put our, our these women in danger. Even the ones that we're not related to, we should be standing up for the women in our in our community and saying this policy is dangerous. It is wrong. Uh, it, is, it is way beyond any kind of uh, tolerance that, uh, that, that we should even be considering. So it's, it's, it's insanity, uh, but it's not going to change if we don't stand up and speak out. Everyone's been cowered into silence uh, to where if you, you're the only thing that's wrong in our culture right now is to actually say that something is wrong. Mm. Uh, and that is a very, very dangerous place to be, and, and we've got to push back. Most people are with us. Chris, you know, we're not, we, sometimes right. we think we're the only ones, and we're Elijah, and there's no, there's no one else, and I think God's trying to say to us, look, 7,000 them about their need to fail. There are millions in yeah. America yeah. that know this is crazy. Even on the left, I mean, people on the left are speaking up right now and going, what? Are you kidding? I mean, some transgenders are speaking up and saying, this is crazy. <laughs> you should not allow, allow this. So, you know, it's, um, it, it just requires people to, to, to you know, if, we, if we're silent, then this stuff is going to get worse and worse and worse. But if we speak up, obviously speak, you know, articulate, speak in love and all those things, but, you know, there's no question that the rise of Donald Trump, as much as I, um, uh, so many things I dislike about Donald Trump, the one thing that, that you know, created uh, this situation is that he was willing to speak some common sense on sure. some of these crazy issues, and unfortunately, we weren't, you know, we weren't listening to some other candidates that were also speaking common sense, and right. ended up where we are, but that's not the point. The point <laughs> is, uh, people do want to hear some common sense right now. Yeah, and then I totally agree, agree one hundred percent. And I, it saddens me that this will probably end up eventually at the Supreme Court. I would think the whole bathroom issue. I mean, we've already got North Carolina and the Feds doing these uh, dueling lawsuits over bathroom stuff. But it's it's just so bizarre to me. It, but the Supreme Court. Let's let's transition to that. Obviously, we lost sure. a fantastic justice and truly a really great American with the passing of Justice Scalia, and we'll never be able to replace him. But Obviously, someone is going to take his seat eventually. So would you talk a little bit about what someone who's nominated to the Supreme Court, what qualifications they should have, what we should look for, and if you've seen any names floated that you think would be good for the bench? Yes, uh, it really all comes back to um, someone understanding authority and jurisdictions and being willing to say that we are a constitutional republic, that, that we are not a democracy, that we are not a a free-for-all. It's not just what whoever gets elected feels like doing. We're governed by this written document that the people adopted. Uh, if we were a, a pure republic where you just elected a Senate and let them do whatever they want, it'd be different. But that's not what we are. We want those jurisdictional lines. You need Supreme Court justices like Scalia, uh, certainly was throughout his career, and, and I think like Thomas is for the most part, that are willing to say, look, we're limited. The, the limited government does not mean the size of government. It means there's a time to say no. There are good things that government shouldn't do. There are things that government absolutely has never been given the authority to do. So you need Supreme Court justices 
that know where those lines are, that are students of the Constitution from the standpoint of this is what the Constitution was intended to do, and I will uphold that until the people, through their representatives or through a convention of states, changes the Constitution. If they don't do that, if they don't amend the Constitution, then I don't have the right as a Supreme Court justice to amend it just because, mm. you know, I ate something good for breakfast right. or I feel like love has changed or whatever other crazy reasons Kennedy and these other justices have used. I don't think anyone in America believes that we should be governed by five unelected lawyers in robes, mm-hmm. that, that for them to be making law, actually making law for our nation, is the antithesis of the Constitutional Republic our founders designed. Their only job is to apply the law that our, that our elected representatives make, and in that rare circumstance, to call out and say to that, that elected body, you're outside of your authority according to the actual Constitution, and it's clear on the face of the Constitution. Those are the only two things they're, they're supposed to be doing. Right. And right now, man, they're rewriting laws, writing laws. I mean, the president's got his phone pen. He's making law. I mean, we're, we're just completely outside what the Constitution actually was designed to do. So that would be my number one thing, is that a, 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 a nominee uh, to the Supreme Court would talk about jurisdiction, that he, would, that he or she would say there are limits on what the federal government can do. And my job as a Supreme Court justice is to uphold the written Constitution as it was intended and only change it when the people say that it is to be changed, and they actually adopt an amendment. That that fixes everything else. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it totally does. So I, I could keep you literally for the entire hour of my show and just keep picking your brain with questions like this, but I know that your time is very important. So I'll, I'll end with this. One more question. What can we as Christians do in our culture today and in our government today? I mean, it's easy to sit in the pew on Sunday morning and watch baseball on Tuesday night and point fingers at Washington, D.C. and blame our elected officials for everything that's going wrong in the world. But what can we do tangibly to make a difference? Well, first of all, you don't watch baseball on Tuesday night. You watch baseball every night because there are only two seasons, the baseball (laughs) season and the off season. There's no other sport that actually counts. But anyway, um, uh, no, look, I I think it starts with just accepting responsibility and saying, look, I've enjoyed the blessings of liberty. It's time for me to accept the burden as well and Mm. and for every citizen to say – you know, I have, and with every right that I like to claim, there's a corresponding responsibility, and and it's on my watch right now that America is about to go off the cliff. So I'm going to stand up and do my part. And it doesn't matter if you see a path to victory. Some people have given up and they said, "Oh, it's all over," you know, and they uh, sure. can't make a difference. Well, yeah, it may or may not be true. That doesn't change the fact that you do your duty and you leave the results to God. I believe we can still save our nation. I don't think God's done with America. He's still given us the peaceable means to take our nation back and to restore those founding principles. And the great thing about founding principles is they only work every time they're tried. <laughs> so if we'll just come back to them, if we'll put them back in place, we can turn it. But that means we have to take action. That means pastors have to speak up. That means Christians have to get educated. I encourage everyone listening to go, go to wallbuilders.com and get Constitution alive. Walk through that 12-hour class with David Barton and me. We, we actually take you into Independence Hall where the Constitution was framed. We take you to David's library. It's a chance for you to really understand what a citizen can do under the Constitution to, to save our republic. And the second thing I would really encourage you to do is pass the torch to this next generation. We've got to raise up a remnant that understands how to rebuild these principles. There's going to be a lot of damage in our country due to the policies of the last few years and, unfortunately, what I think the next few years are going to bring. And there's going to be some rubble. But we, what, we, what we've got to do is say, look, the answer to the question in the Bible, what can the righteous do when the foundations be destroyed? It's found in Nehemiah. Arise and rebuild the walls that we may no longer be a reproach. And that means mm. every Christian at every point, wherever you are in the culture, where your place is on the wall, 
part of your responsibility, whether you're a hairdresser or you're a pastor or you're an attorney or whatever you do for your you know, dollars and your, and your career, you're still a citizen, and you have a responsibility to help rebuild the walls. Teach your kids things. Get them to Patriot Academy. Go to PatriotAcademy.com. Let them come stay with us at a state capital somewhere in the country for a week and learn what it means to be a good citizen, whether they're going to go into business or politics or education. It's a chance for them to learn great leadership skills and learn that they can turn the nation back. That's what gives me hope. When Every time I do one of these Patriot Academies and I'm around one of these you know, 16 to 25-year-old groups yeah. and they're passionate and they're articulate, I see God's remnant being raised up to bring our nation back. Amen. That's very encouraging. So it's wallbuilders.com, and your website is rickgreen.com? Yes, ma'am, and, and patriotacademy.com, but you can get to that one through either wallbuilders or, or uh, rickgreen.com. And, and, and we're going to be actually, I guess, uh, closest to you would probably be Phoenix. We'll be in Phoenix uh-huh. in a few weeks doing one there at the state capitol in, uh, in Arizona, and we do one in Idaho and Texas and Delaware and Florida and, and all over. So they, they take place all, uh, this summer in June and July, so folks that are interested, check out the website and get your 16- to 25-year-olds there. I'm telling you, it's a life-changing, powerful experience. Fantastic. Rick, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. And we just so appreciate everything that you and Wall Builders are doing uh, for our country and for our, our communities and for Christianity as a whole. Right back at you, Crystal. Keep it up. Thank you. you. Thanks. And you're listening to KVXL LP 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes. And that was Travis Cottrell with Jesus Saves, one of my favorite favorite songs so there was a recent uh what is this it's a restaurant fair the national restaurant show was yesterday in looks like this was in the uk possibly and at this international restaurant show the ex-ceo of mcdonald's was interviewed and he said that the 15 dollar minimum wage push is going to cause job loss like you're not going to believe in the united states this is from breitbart.com former mcdonald's ceo ed renzi appeared on fox business network and warned progressive groups against 15 dollar per hour minimum wage hikes he said i was at the national restaurant show yesterday and if you look at the robotic devices that are coming into the restaurant industry it's cheaper to buy a $35,000 robotic arm than it is to hire an employee who's inefficient while making $15 an hour bagging french fries. It's nonsense, and it's very destructive, and it's inflationary, and it's going to cause job loss across this country like you're not going to believe. Already, several fast food restaurants in America have invested in self-serving kiosks in response to in response to the wage hikes won by the far-left protest movement. Earlier this month, Wendy's announced plans to offer self-serving kiosks at 6,000-plus locations across the United States. Renzi, who's a Donald Trump supporter, said automation will eventually replace low-skill workers in markets that extend beyond fast food. It's not just going to be in the fast food business, the 70-year-old executive said. Franchising is the best business model in the United States. It's dependent on people that have low job skills that have to grow. Well, if you can't get people a reasonable wage, you're going to get machines to do the work. It's just common sense. Renzi said that automation is going to happen whether you like it or not and that pushing for additional wage hikes will only make it happen faster. So what's his solution? 
scrap the federal minimum wage altogether and allow states to seek solutions to the issue. He said, I think we ought to have multifaceted wage programs in this country. If you're a high school kid, you ought to have a student wage. If you're an entry-level worker, you ought to have a separate wage. The states ought to manage this because they know more about what's going on in the, on the ground than anybody in Washington, D.C. So there you have it. Restaurants to be serving Yeah, not restaurants to be serving up Big Macs. McDonald's already does that. Robots to be serving up Big Macs at a McDonald's near you if the former CEO of McDonald's is correct. He's saying don't raise the minimum wage. You're just going to have less interaction with humans and more and more robots. And then, of course, they're going to take over the world and start destroying things and then Transformers, Star Wars, everything you've ever imagined will definitely come to life. So... This is why really, really, if this is what Civil War was actually about, you guys. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I'm imagining and hypothesizing that in all actuality, I mean, because I've seen Iron Man 3 where all the Iron Man suits go crazy, if robots start serving us food at McDonald's, imagine what will happen next. They're going to start throwing burgers at you, french fries at you, mm, things could get really brutal really fast and Tony Stark believe it or not is actually fake and I'm pretty sure Robert Downey Jr. is incapable of actually donning a red suit and 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 protecting you from a hamburger wielding robot something to think about something to think about hope you all have a fantastic day we're gonna go out with a mother's prayer from Keith and Kristen Getty we will see you back here tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. be sure to tune in it's going to be Fantastic. Have a great day, everyone.